0: Locked on Blackhawks, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network,
1: your team every day. Welcome in to the Locked On Blackhawks podcast, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Today is Monday, January 3rd. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can find me out on Twitter, at JackBushman2, or you could also go and check out my Strictly Blackhawks account, at Hockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And if you like what you're listening to today, then please be sure to go and follow the podcast. You can also go and leave me a review if you want to as well. It'll only take a quick couple of seconds, and it's all for free wherever you may listen to your podcast, whether that be through Apple Podcasts, Odyssey, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. It's all for free. And if you go and follow the show right now, then you'll be able to get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. All right, good afternoon, everyone. And as always, thank you for tuning into another episode of Lockdown Blackhawks and for making the show your first listen here to start off your week or to start off your new year. This is the first episode of 2022, folks. Pretty crazy to think I've already... I'm closing in on the two-year mark as the host of Locked On Blackhawks. I don't know where the time goes these days anymore, ladies and gentlemen. But I hope everyone had a fun and safe New Year's Eve and New Year's Day over the weekend. I know that I personally just kind of laid around for the last two days with all the snow that we've gotten recently and the temperature getting down into single digits. It was kind of just the perfect setting, I thought, to lay around and indulge in abundance of sports over the weekend. And I was really hoping that I'd be able to, you know, sit back, relax, and watch the Chicago Blackhawks kick off 2022 with a couple of big victories. But... Sadly, that that's not what happened, to put it nicely. On the show today, I'll be going over the Blackhawks' 6-1 to loss to the Nashville Predators on Saturday, as well as their 5-1 to loss to the Calgary Flames last night, as the same problems that haunted them in 2021 continued to plague them in their first two games of the new year. And then to wrap things up, per usual, to start off the week will be our Mailbag Monday fan segment, where I answer a question from a couple of lucky listeners right here on Lockdown Blackhawks. Let's open things up today, though, by getting into the first of the Blackhawks' two blowout losses over the weekend, coming against the Nashville Predators on New Year's Day. And heading into the weekend, probably... The biggest storyline surrounding the Blackhawks was both Mark Andre Fleury and Kevin Lankinen being in COVID protocol. Their number one and number two goaltenders, which left only Colin Delia and Arvid Soderblom as the two netminders available against the Preds on Saturday. And as expected, Colin Delia was the one who did wind up making his first start of the season up at the NHL level, which I knew was was probably going to be a a pretty Decent challenge for him after kind of just getting thrown into the fire. What, he had two days of practice, I believe, before having to make his first start with the Hawks this season. But considering how he does have NHL experience in his past, I know it's not a ton, but um, I figured that Delia would would, would at least be able to tread water out there, you know, keep his team alive and just give them a chance to come away with two points in their first game of the new year. But right from the get-go on Saturday, it was pretty apparent that Delia was not on top of his A game. It also definitely didn't help that the defense in front of him was playing pretty poorly as well. Um, But it it was pretty obvious from the get-go that I just didn't think Colin Delia was fully ready for this game because just a minute in, Philip Forsberg absolutely rifled the shot over his glove, and that came from pretty far out in the offensive zone. It was right around the top of the circles and I don't think there was a screen in front of Delia or anything, so that's probably that uh probably one that he would have loved to have back to start the game just a minute and two seconds in the Predators already had one by Delia and then just a couple of minutes later, this one was more so due to a defensive zone breakdown by the Blackhawks, by the Stillman and Gustafson pairing, who were pretty atrocious all night long. Uh, That allowed Ryan Johansson to get all by himself in front of the net. He makes a nifty forehand-backhand maneuver to extend. The Predators lead to to 2-0 early on in the first period. Two shots on goal, two goals for Nashville. It was unbelievable. Colin Dealy, I don't think, had a save through the opening, like, eight or nine minutes of this one. It was bad. And then eventually the Preds get their first power play opportunity of the game. <laughs> and Matthias Ekholm snuck one through some traffic to make it 3 to nothing Nashville in the first period. We waited two weeks for that. For the Hawks to go down 3 to nothing in the opening 20 minutes. And at that point, well, I, I knew the Blackhawks... They they weren't actually as they weren't actually playing as bad as the score reflected. But considering how badly their offense has struggled throughout the course of the season, I mean, once they were down three to nothing, I think we all basically knew that was that was all she wrote right then and there. Because not many times have the Hawks been able to pot four goals in a game this season, maybe four or five times if that. So that's kind of what really made the first period all the more frustrating. It was already over. And the Blackhawks really weren't playing all that
0: bad. Sure, Delia allows probably one he'd want back in just the first minute of the game, and then there's a defensive
1: breakdown by the Blackhawks. Of course, those blunders are costly, but as a whole, first period really wasn't terrible from the Blackhawks. And if you go and look at the analytics... At even strength. A lot of them were heavily in the Blackhawks' favor. The scoring chances, the high danger chances, the shots on goal, the shot attempts, they all favored the Blackhawks. But that's not what the game of hockey is all about. And that's why I hate when people are all analytics all the time. Analytics is their bread and butter. That's what they go to if they want to know if a player is good or not. That's okay. I understand. And I use it myself. I use analytics. To help paint a picture, to get a better understanding
0: of what happened. And for example, here in this first period, the analytics tell me that the Blackhawks probably didn't deserve to be behind by a score of three to nothing. They probably didn't deserve it. But that's not changing the outcome of the game. You don't play the game to win
1: the analytics, you play to win on the scoreboard. And in hockey, It's just a weird sport. Weird things happen all the time. It doesn't matter who's leading in shots on goal. Who's leading in scoring chances. That's not everything. Sure, it makes you maybe feel a little bit better about the Blackhawks getting killed in this first period, but all that really matters, all it really comes down to is who takes advantage of their opportunities. And undoubtedly, Nashville was the team that did that better than Chicago in that first period. Nashville only had seven shots on goal in the opening 20 minutes. The Hawks actually outshot them 15-7, to but three of those seven shots found the back of the net. They took advantage of their opportunities better than the Blackhawks did. Also, uh, with Delia only stopping four of those seven shots that I mentioned in the first period, that is, excuse me, wow, I almost had a hiccup there. That is eventually what wound up costing Delia his day in net, which I'm sure he was more than frustrated about, you know, in his first opportunity back up at the NHL level this season, his first opportunity to prove the Blackhawks wrong, to show the organization that he doesn't belong in the AHL anymore. And maybe even not the Blackhawks organization, but to show the rest of the NHL, hey, maybe there's another team out there who needs a netminder, like Buffalo with Malcolm Subban. Maybe there's another team out there who who could use a second or third-string goalie. This was a big opportunity for Colin Delia to prove himself as an NHL-caliber netminder. And for him to get pulled after only 20 minutes, allowing three goals on seven shots, uh, I'm sure that was probably a tough pill to swallow for Delia in his first start of the season. And that left 22-year-old rookie Arvid Soderblom in quite the predicament, kind of getting thrown into the fire as well. For his first little bit of NHL action with his team down three to nothing, and poor Soderblom, just like it, just like it went for Delia in the first period. I mean, Soderblom right off the rip just was <laughs> not didn't get off to the start that he wanted to. I'm sure the Preds made it four to nothing just 28 seconds into the second period. Another blunder by the Blackhawks defense in transition, and the momentum goals, man, another thing that wanted to make me rip my hair out about this game in the first minute and two seconds, basically the first minute in all three periods, the Preds scored. 102 into the first, 28 seconds into the third, or 28 seconds into the second. I don't have it pulled up in front of me how quickly uh, Nashville scored in the third period. Let me check it out, though, because it's worth mentioning. Yeah, 53 seconds into the third. So the Preds scored 53 seconds into the
0: third, 28 seconds into the second, and a minute and two seconds into the first. Unbelievable. I mean, to allow... A momentum goal like that in all three periods, after 13 days,
1: after a full week of practice, you've been off the ice for two weeks. There's no excuse to be tired or to not be focused. And the Blackhawks let Nashville
0: come out in each of the three periods and just take control. I mean, completely unacceptable to come out that flat after having two full weeks off. I get there could be rust.
1: But breakdown after breakdown after breakdown in the first minute of all three periods, it's, as I said, it's stuff that makes me want to pull my hair out of my head. And once it became 4 to nothing, I mean, my interest was even lower than it already was at that point. Roman Yossi would go on to make it 5 to nothing Nashville with their second power play goal of the game. The penalty kill, man, ugh, continues to struggle as well, despite being the focal point during practice in the p- past couple of weeks, it, w- it was just all bad, folks. The goaltending was shaky, um, but I think more so than that, considering it's Colin Delia in his first NHL start of the season and 22-year-old rookie Arvid Soderblom, who, if Flurry and Lankanen were healthy, this isn't a knock on Soderblom, but if Flurry and Lankanen were healthy, that kid's probably not sniffing the NHL this season just because he's so inexperienced and only 22 years old. For a netminder, that's, you know, basically 18. I mean, you don't see netminders in the NHL before the age of 24, 25, all that often. So I don't think you can really, I know the goaltending was shaky, but the defense in front of them definitely weren't doing their jobs too well either. I mean, going through a couple of these goals by Nashville, Johansson got all alone by himself on that second goal of the game. Um, And then uh, Tanner Janot, his first one, 28 seconds into the second, he walks right down Main Street. No one takes him in the slot. That's a tap-in. And also, uh, both power play goals that Nashville scored, the Hawks didn't do a good job, in my opinion, of clearing out traffic in front of their goaltender. Both Matias Ekholm and Roman Yossi were able to squeak the puck through a couple of screens, and I think that's kind of been a a common theme for the Blackhawks and their penalties-kill struggles over the past couple of weeks, going back prior to the Christmas pause, they just got to do a better job of allowing their goalie to see the shot. And you know, maybe if Mark Andre Fleury was able to go, maybe he would have been able to stop that, but either way, you know it, if you're saying a Vesna Calvert trophy goaltender might be able to get that one, I, eh, the defense probably is the one to blame there. so um defensively, I think the Blackhawks just have a ton to clean up, even though. They didn't give up a ton of shots on goal. The chances they did were pretty high-quality looks for Nashville. And then when you can't get a stop on the penalty kill, it makes things all the more difficult, especially when the offense can't score goals either. Uh, eventually, Philip Khrushchev would be the one to end UC Saros's shutout bid. That was Khrushchev's second goal in his past four games at the time. But UC Saros, this frickin' guy just continues to have the Blackhawks number. Probably the main reason why this wound up being such a lopsided win for his team on Saturday. Saros stopped 37 of the 38 shots that he faced. The Hawks actually outshot Nashville 38-25 to in this one. But when you can't take advantage of your opportunities, it doesn't really matter how much you outshoot your opponent by. Nashville was the team that took advantage of their chances. They took advantage of the opportunities that the Blackhawks gave them. They were the better team. Even though they got outshot, they were the better and more efficient team. The Preds went on to add one more in the third period, making this a 6-1 final on New Year's Day. Definitely not the way the Blackhawks wanted to kick things off in the new year. And on the show over the past week, uh, with back-to-back overtime losses prior to the Christmas pause, I talked about how important it was for the Blackhawks to get off to a good start here if they wanted to get back into the playoff picture. They were going to need to string something together and to lose this one 6 to 1 to the hands of the National Predators that kind of considering how I've been talking about how it was so crucial to start off strong, losing by that handed of a margin I think kind of made all the things more frustrating to start off 2022 for the Chicago Blackhawks. Alright, there are my thoughts on the Hawks getting blown out by Nashville on New Year's Day. Coming up in just a minute, I am going to discuss the lineup changes that Derek King made on Saturday as well as the second crushing defeat in as many days against the Calgary Flames. But first, I need to talk to you all about Bilt Bar, which is a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. It's the New Year, so that means New Year's resolutions. And if yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, then make sure that you include Bilt Bar in your plan. Because right now, you can get the best of both worlds, delicious and healthy. And so many flavors, you'll have a hard time choosing. Will you have raspberry or mint brownie, coconut almond or double chocolate? cookies and cream, or peanut butter brownie. Either way that you choose, Bilt Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good, you'll actually want to eat it, unlike other protein bars which can be chalky or waxy or even taste like a chemical spill. And if you're not a huge fan of working out, the least you can do is eat something that tastes good and is also good for you. That way, when you enjoy a delicious Bilt Bar, you can almost count it as a workout. And for a limited time offer, Go to builtbar.com right now, use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. That's builtbar.com with promo code LOCKED15, one word, LOCKED in all caps, followed by the number 15 to get
0: 15% off your next built Bar order. Welcome back to the Lockdown Blackhawks
1: podcast. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. Getting into segment two now today, after the Blackhawks lost to the Predators 6-1 to on Saturday, they were right back in action on Sunday to take on a tough Calgary Flames team that, coming into the game, had the second-best point percentage in the entire Western Conference. Not going to be an easy challenge for Derek King and his squad, especially being on the back end of a back-to-back. And prior to the game on Sunday, the Blackhawks, some good news, announced that goaltender Mark andre Fleury was able to be removed from COVID-19 protocol, but King decided that he was actually going to give rookie Arvid Soderblom his first NHL start against the Flames, which was definitely an interesting decision. I know a lot of people were not happy with that choice, were not happy with seeing Fleury on the bench for this one. But one thing I will say is that I think King was kind of damned either way. You know, obviously, Soderblom is only 22 years old and doesn't have any NHL experience except for what he did on
0: Saturday. But c- considering how he played 40 minutes against Nashville, and for Flurry, considering that he hadn't been on the ice since well before Christmas, I mean,
1: almost two weeks for, since Flurry has even put on his skates, I do kind of understand why King decided to go with Soderblom. And it actually wound up being a pretty smart decision because uh, Soderblom was probably the lone bright spot for the Blackhawks in their second consecutive blowout loss in as many days. A couple of other lineup changes I wanted to be sure to mention real quick, though. Um, King also decided to get both Josiah Slavin and Curtis Gabriel in the lineup up front for... Mackenzie Entwistle and Ryan Carpenter, which I thought was a little bit of a curious decision for sure, you know, maybe get Carpy out of there for a game for Slavin, but I don't really understand why you're taking Mackenzie Entwistle out when he's fully healthy. Maybe King didn't like his effort on Saturday, that's something that he did talk about with the media, that he thought about half the team against the Predators wasn't ready to play, so maybe That's the reason why he sat Entwistle and Carpenter, but um, it was definitely an interesting decision for sure to get Josiah Slavin and Curtis Gabriel uh, kind of a physical scrapper, if you will, into the lineup despite the team only having scored one goal in the game prior against Nashville. I thought that was probably the more interesting decision of the two. And then Caleb Jones also drew back in on defense, but for Riley Stillman, and yes... Stillman did struggle on Saturday against the Predators, to be
0: fair, but so did his defensive partner, Eric Gustafson. I thought Gustafson was terrible against Nashville. Like, watching him made me want to rip my hair out. Yet, King left him in the lineup over Stillman against the Flames, which...
1: Definitely wound up being the wrong decision, considering how bad Gustafson was once again last night, which is something I'll get into in just a little bit. Um, But just like against Nashville on Saturday, the first period for the Blackhawks against Calgary, I thought was actually pretty good. And this time, they were the ones to kick off the scoring, which I think is always so crucial for this team. That It's such a huge boost when they score the first goal, because with their offensive woes, they just simply aren't a team that's meant to be playing from behind all the time. And just a couple of minutes in, it was nice to see them grab their first lead of 2022 as Patrick Kane and Alex Dabrinkit, who else, hooked up for the Cats' 18th goal of the season and fourth in the last five games to give the Hawks a one nothing lead. Dabrinkit, with 18 goals, is now tied for sixth in the NHL with, uh, I believe, Kyle Connor, Troy Terrien, Andrew Mangiapani of the Calgary Flames, but this was a good play all around, I thought, from that top line of Dabrinkit, Borgstrom, and Kane. Borgie, who I thought he had a pretty solid game overall, Um, but on this play in particular, he did a, a good job to go and win that board battle down low. The puck eventually finds its way over to Kaner. You know, he puts it on the tape always, it seems, and Dabrinkit found the soft spot in coverage, which... He He's seriously so good at that. So good at knowing exactly where to be, where he can get a shot off from, where the good look's going to be, where the pass can find him. He's so good at that, as all elite goal scorers are. And, of course, helps when uh, you got Patty Kane putting it right on your tape in front of the net. And that put the Blackhawks ahead by a goal early on in the first period. But after that... Everything kind of seemed to go downhill for this team in a hurry. Just a couple of minutes later, the Canucks were able to answer right back. Johnny Hockey and Matthew Kachuk hook up for a goal. I'm, I'm not even sure really how this even happened. Like, first off, I don't know how Goudreau got that puck over to Kachuk or how Matthew even got it off past Soderblom. Like, there were like four Blackhawks in that area. McCabe and Murphy were both right there. I. I Don't know how that shot got through, but it did. The puck found its way through everyone, and that's what left the game tied 1-1 to after the opening 20 minutes. And the rest of the way for the Blackhawks was absolutely atrocious. The second period in particular was god-awful. Calgary had, they tied a franchise record for 26 shots on goal in the second period. 26. Full-on slap shot regatta for Arvid Soderblom. Hawks gave the Flames three consecutive power plays, including nearly a minute and a half of five-on-three time. And as I talked about earlier in the show, the special teams' woes, even after focusing, it on, pra- focusing on it in practice these past couple of weeks, I mean, they were dread- special teams was dreadful on Saturday against Nashville. They were dreadful once again on Sunday against the Flames. Uh, early on in the second, Elias Lindholm ripped home a a one-timer, past Arvid Soderblom to give the Flames a 2-1 to lead on the power play, and then, kind of the cherry on top here, not only did the Blackhawks, well, actually, I got to give, I was going to say I was going to give their penalty kill some credit, but I more so got to give Arvid Soderblom some credit because he made a handful of huge stops on that 5-on-3, and... On the other Flames' man advantage to keep the game at two, on, uh, keep the game at two to one. And eventually, towards the end of the second period, after giving the Flames three consecutive power plays, the Blackhawks finally got a power play chance of their own. And what happens? The cherry on top, of course. The Flames score a shorthanded goal. And I. I don't know why I'm doing this right now, folks. I'm holding my pitching wedge in my hands. It was just laying next to my desk. I I just, you know, get off topic and we'll just grab something that's laying on my desk. I grabbed my sand wedge, and when I got to talking about this shorthanded goal that the Flames scored, I started to bend this thing over my knee, and I had to kind of stop myself from breaking my sand wedge because that would be an expensive fix.
0: But that's how this goal made me feel. Eric Gustafson, I'm done. I'm done. Done. A complete breakdown here by Gustafson. First off, the puck gets dumped out of
1: the Blackhawks' offensive zone when they're on the power play. A piss-poor hustle to go and chase that puck down. Maybe half speed. He got absolutely torched by Blake Coleman. And then, as he's trying to defend, he winds up on all fours in the corner, hands on the ice. Trevor Lewis gets left all alone, not great help from Patrick Kane either, and he scores a shorty to make it 3-1 to Flames late in the second period, and that right there, not only was it uh, a complete backbreaker for the Blackhawks, but that was the final straw for me with Eric Gustafson, folks, and yes, I know that he was better for a couple of weeks there, There there's probably a two- to three-week stretch where he was actually pretty good, and I was one to admit it. I talked about that on the show. Gustafson had been better there late in November and early in December as Derek King kind of gave him a talking to and made him understand that he can't play like a dummy out there if he wants to be in the lineup on a regular basis. I thought that message got through to Gustafson. Clearly, he's forgotten a little
0: bit because his decision-making over the weekend was dreadful. Every time the puck was on a stick, bad decision turns the puck over in the defensive zone,
1: goes and skates the puck through the offensive zone, dumps it in. He's the lone man that's up on the play. He doesn't go
0: and chase it. I don't know what he's thinking anymore. But I'm done. I'm done. This experiment has to be over. Like, especially because Stan Bowman is no longer
1: the GM. By the way, great final move that you made, Stan. But with Stan no longer around, why is Gustafson still here? What does he give us? Really, what does he give us? And I know Ben Pope said, Ben Pope, much respect. I'm not trying to call you out. I know Ben Pope said he has the best scoring chance ratio. Scoring chance ratio on the Blackhawks? Are you kidding me? We're going to dress
0: Eric Gustafson because he has the best scoring chance ratio? No. This guy doesn't do anything for us. He plays bad defense in his own zone. He has bad game recognition. And if he's
1: so good offensively, then why does he only have three points in his last 21 games and seven and 30 on the season? Like, the offense is not worth how bad he is defensively. I'm just, I'm so done watching this dude play horrendous defense for the Blackhawks. I'm really done with
0: it. And you can't tell me that there isn't a kid in Rockford who should be getting a chance over him. Like, what are we doing here? The only, re- the only way Eric Gustafson should remain up with the Blackhawks is if he's in that seventh defenseman role. This is absurd. Stop playing him on a nightly basis. He doesn't provide anything. Freaking Derek King puts him out there with the top power play
1: unit. What are we doing? We have Seth Jones. He's not going anywhere for the next nine years. He is the face of our defense. Put him on the first power play unit and let him stay there. Why are we dancing with Eric Gustafson? It blows my mind. I'm just so done with it. So done with watching this dude play bad defense. It needs to end right here, right now, in my opinion, because that blunder of his, not only his terrible defending in the corner where he wound up on the ice, but also the hustle to go and get that loose puck. Like, what was that? That was a huge turning point in this game. The Blackhawks, despite getting dominated for the entire second period, Calgary tied a franchise record with 26 shots on goal. They still had some life because they were only down two to one, thanks to incredible effort from Arvid Soderblom's uh, incredible effort from Arvid Soderblom in his first NHL start. But that kind of wound up being all for naught because of a terrible effort play by Eric Gustafson in transition. And I'm not blaming him for the entire loss. I had someone message me on Twitter last night being like, Listen, there's more problems than just Gustafson. He's not the reason they lost. Listen, I know he's not the reason they lost, but he is not helping the team in any
0: way, shape, or form right now. He's here for his offense. He's not providing that. Three points in 21 games.
1: If he can't do that, then he doesn't deserve to be at the NHL level anymore because the rest of his game is, is not that good. And then in the third period, down three to one, the Hawks did have a couple of chances. Most notably, Patrick Kane hit the post twice on the same shift. I was like, are you kidding me? First shot hits the right post. Second one hits the left. This dude just can't buy a goal right now. No goals for Kaner since December 4th, and he also has only scored twice in his last 21 games. His struggles to find the back of the net are undoubtedly coinciding with the Blackhawks struggling offense. They need to get Kaner going. I don't know if he's dealing with an injury or what, but he's just not scoring the way we expect him to, and the Blackhawks really need him to right now because the depth players aren't getting it done either. Eventually, the Hawks pulled Soderblom out for the extra attacker, but Calgary found the empty net with ease, making it 4-1. to And then, just to add insult to injury, Johnny Hockey absolutely roofed one past Soderblom to make it 5-1 to in the final minute of the game. That wound up being the final score. The Blackhawks get blown out in both games to start 2022 as they only scored one goal in back-to-back en route to being outscored 11-2 to
0: in the process. You just can't win that way. You can't win in the NHL scoring one goal per game. On the season, I think the Blackhawks
1: averaged 2.3. Like, that's not good enough. If you can't score three on a nightly basis, you're probably not going to win a majority of the time. Especially when you have your third and fourth string goaltenders in there. And with the loss last night to Calgary, that now makes four consecutive defeats for the Chicago Blackhawks. Two of them came in overtime. But that now drops their record down to 11, 17, and 4 through 32 games on the season. All right, that takes care of my thoughts on the Blackhawks. pair of disappointing losses over the weekend to start off 2022. Coming up in just a moment, it's time for our weekly Mailbag Monday fan segment where I answer a question from a couple of lucky listeners right here on Locked On
0: Blackhawks. All right, we're back here on the Locked On Blackhawks podcast, getting into segment three today. It's time for our weekly Mailbag
1: Monday fan segment, where I answer a question from a couple of lucky listeners right here on Locked On Blackhawks. The first question I want to answer today comes from Chad Wells on Twitter. Chad, as always, thank you for all the support, and thank you for taking the time to ask your question. Chad asked me yesterday, what has happened to the Hawks, and where does
0: the organization begin to fix it? First off, I have no explanation for why this offense can't score. Why this team, after getting Seth Jones, Jake McCabe, Tyler Johnson, Mark-Andre Fleury, getting Captain Jonathan Tays back, it's definitely a better team on paper than they were last year, yet this team can't score at all. I don't get it. and. One thing I have noticed though with this offense is the lack of shots from the slot.
1: They can't get anything from from the inside. Nothing is going on from the slot ever. It's like they're never getting high quality looks unless their odd man rushes in transition. Off the cycle, they cannot get the puck to the dangerous dangerous areas. And second off, their passing is horrible. I mean, horrible. Maybe the worst passing team in the league.
0: Every time I watch them, they, they can't string together two consecutive tape-to-tape passes. It's brutal. And watching, even watching the Blackhawks in practice, they can't do anything. They can't even create against themselves. Like,
1: if they're running five-on-five drills or two-on-two rushes, there's nothing happening. No one's scoring goals no one's making highlight real moves.
0: No one can deke. It seems like no one has the speed to get around defenders. And no one's getting to the slot. It's really frustrating to see this team, after the moves I made, struggle this
1: much to score goals. As for how the organization begins to fix it, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I think you kind of got to look at Derek King and the mindset that he's having right now. Are they focusing a little bit too much on defense?
0: I'm not sure, but clearly no one on this team can score besides Alex Dabrinkit. I mean, no one. After Dabrinkit having 18 goals,
1: it's like Kane was 7. There's Kubelik up there. Doc
0: four with 5, 6, you know. No one's helping Alex Dabrinkit. Maybe the return of Tyler Johnson will help sort out these forward lines a little bit, but the more and more I watch this team,
1: the more I realize that they just kind of have a reluctancy to get to the dangerous areas, whether it be because they can't and they know it or because they won't try to, that I'm not sure, but they're not getting enough off from the high danger areas, and I think... That's one thing that's really killing this team because, again, if you score two goals a game, you're not going to win most nights in this league unless you have outstanding goaltending, and it's hard to rely on that night in and night out. You're not going to get very far if you're not able to find the back of the net consistently. So I I don't know. I don't know how the organization begins to fix it. I think
0: you kind of just got to use this as an observation period, maybe see what pieces are working well, what pieces aren't.
1: And then maybe as we get closer to the trade deadline, you kind of figure either this team can't compete at all and you're going to unleash some contracts, or if they find a way to be competitive, which seems unlikely at this point, but I'm not going to rule it out completely, then maybe see what kind of player you need to add to this roster, and that's also a mindset that you need to have going forward in the offseason. But yeah, it's undoubtedly frustrating to see this Blackhawks team get blown out in back-to-back games to start 2022, and their offense basically have no answer and no way to help their goaltenders out. The second question I wanted to answer today comes from Jamie R.D. Pierce on Twitter, who asked a similar question to kind of what I talked about. Why is the Hawks' offense struggling so badly? Because when the season started, that was never the concern. Now they can't score goals and don't seem to have any depth. What gives? And are they possibly overcompensating to have a tighter defensive system? That's what I'm thinking it could be, but also, Derek King was asked about this maybe a month ago now, honestly, because um, in that first stretch of games he had with the Blackhawks, it was clear that they, they had a defensive mentality, and they weren't really creating all that much offensively, and the media asked him about this, and he said that he told the players to be a little bit more aggressive, so I don't think that it's overcompensating to have a tighter defensive system anymore. But I just more so think it's the passing,
0: the lack of getting to the danger areas, and the power play especially, I mean, it's dreadful. And when you can't score goals at five on five, you need your power play to come up clutch
1: for you, and the Blackhawks have not been able to do that consistently enough since Derek King uh, has taken over. And I'm looking at the Blackhawks' goal leaders, Alex Debrinkett has 18. Then it's Brandon Hagel with 8. Patrick Kane with 7. Kubelik with 6. Doc with 5. And then a handful of guys with 3. Handful of guys with 2. 1. Calvin DeHaan doesn't have 1. Riley Stillman doesn't have 1. Ryan Carpenter doesn't have 1. I think also something that's contributing to the Blackhawks' offense not really doing all that much. They're not getting any help from their defensemen as well. Seth Jones only has 3 goals, but. Other than that, I mean, none of their... Def- uh, Jake McCabe has two, but one of his were an empty netter. Uh, Connor Murphy has two. One of his goals came in the first game of the season. Like, they're not getting a lot of help from their defensemen. And going back to the games that they did get help from their defensemen, a couple that come to mind uh, against Washington when they had that 5-4 to four overtime victory at the United Center. Caleb Jones is the one who chips home the overtime winner uh, against... Toronto in that strong comeback, even though the Blackhawks got their hearts broken. Jake McCabe chipped in for a goal. Uh, Connor Murphy had one as well with a couple of good screens. The Blackhawks need their defensemen chipping in a little bit more consistently, and they also need their power play to figure it out. Where are they ranked on the power play right now? Let's see. The Blackhawks are now down to
0: 21st in the NHL on the power play. That was a top five unit early on in the season. I think we need to get, people may not agree with me on this decision, but we need to get Dominic Kubelik
1: at that right circle with power play one. Awesome. Patrick Kane is great there. I get it. But this power play can't score goals with him there right now. And he's never going to score on a one-timer from that right circle. He never does. Ever. Can we please put a guy who actually has a clap bomb to help out this power play, put him where he deserves to be. Don't give Dominic Kubalik 30 to 40 seconds on the second power play unit when they can barely enter the puck in the offensive zone. Let's go and get him a chance on power play one. I get that means you have to compromise Patrick Kane and Alex Dobrynkit playing that pitch and catch from right circle to left circle. But that's not working right now. We have to try something else, and clearly what the Blackhawks are doing right now isn't working I think they just got to try some different methods... I don't have an explanation why they can't score. Um, I know their shooting percentage as a team is super low, but that also comes with not getting a lot of shots from the dangerous areas. So I think that all kind of ties together. The passing's bad. They need the passing to be better. They need to move the puck swifter when they have it in the offensive zone, especially on the power play, and just shoot the puck from the point. Good things happen when you put the puck on net. If the defenseman blocks the shot, he blocks the shot. Make him hurt. Make him not want to block shots anymore. Make him earn it. Because right now the Blackhawks, what they're rolling with clearly isn't working. I would be willing to try anything and everything, throwing anything at the dartboard to get this offense going because on paper, they should be producing a whole lot more than they have so far this season. Last question here comes from at Blackjack underscore Hawk on Twitter who asked, what is the read on when a new president of Hockey Ops and general manager will be named, and shouldn't it be done, in your view, ASAP with the trade deadline approaching? Yeah, that is kind of an interesting situation that the Blackhawks are going to find themselves in. I know there's no rush in this process right now, um, but the Blackhawks are doing their homework. They had, was it Jed Hoyer, I believe? Uh, don't quote me on that. I think they talked to Jed Hoyer to try to go through his mindset of, you know, thinking outside the box, what kind of hires they want in their front office, yada, yada. I like to see them doing their homework. I really do. Um, But I don't know if a move is going to be made anytime soon. I think the soonest move that could be made would be naming Kyle Davidson as the general manager long-term. I think the Hockey Ops, President of Hockey Ops, I think that's going to be a search potentially through the entire season. Um,
0: But... If they're going to separate those roles into two and they're going to leave Kyle Davidson as the general manager, I would expect that to
1: happen sometime during the season. Well, we'll see what happens, though. Um, Davidson was supposedly, according to Elliot Friedman, the front runner for
0: the Blackhawks a couple of weeks ago for the general manager position. Um, but yeah, with the trade deadline coming, I, I think... First, I think the Blackhawks trust Kyle Davidson, even
1: if it's not his job long-term. I think he's going to be involved with this organization in some capacity. So I think they do trust him to make the right moves, regardless of how the
0: team's faring at the deadline. And also, um, more so than the just the general manager, I think, based on the
1: Blackhawks' play, you'll know what they're going to want to do at the trade deadline. You know, if they're not competitive, they're probably going to want to move Mark andre Fleury... Maybe Calvin DeHaan, or, or just
0: s- some older contracts. Maybe Dylan Strome. Those are the moves that they're going to want to make. And if they, don't have a, if they still have Kyle Davidson as their interim, I think that they trust
1: him to make those fairly obvious moves, per se. Where it gets a little more complicated, I think, is if the Blackhawks are able to get competitive again which, you know, doesn't seem all that likely at this point, 11, 17, and 4, 12 points back of a playoff spot, third worst team in the Western Conference, doesn't seem all that likely, but if the Blackhawks were to get competitive again, I think that's when it kind of makes the decision-making process a little bit harder there, because if you're, unless you're just buying rentals, if you're acquiring players from other teams who, you know, could be here for two or three years, I think you kind of want your GM or your president of hockey ops, you want that guy making those decisions, not someone who's going to be an interim. Sure, Kyle Davidson may have a job here, and they trust him to make the right moves, but if you're going to bring in someone from the outside, I don't think you want to be bringing in a bunch of new contracts at the deadline, making their job a little bit harder to take over and kind of have their say and put their fingertip on the whole uh, blueprint and whatnot. But yeah, it should definitely be interesting. The latest I've heard is that there's no rush. Um, But with the trade deadline coming in two months, it is definitely an interesting situation to keep an eye on, regardless of where the Blackhawks sit, whether they be competitive or whether they find themselves out of the playoff picture. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I think that will wrap up Monday, January 3rd's episode of Locked On Blackhawks. Thank you again for tuning into the show, and be sure to go and follow the Locked On Blackhawks podcast for free, Right now on your favorite podcast app, and you can get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. And after the show, be sure to go and check out the Lockdown Bets podcast, which is hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. You can get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favored picks, and even Lee Sterling's Lock of the Day. By just simply following the Lockdown Bets podcast, it's free and available on all platforms. So be sure to check out Lockdown Bets right now wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, thank you for tuning into today's episode. I'm your host Jack Bushman. You can catch me on Twitter at my personal account at Jack Two, or you can also check out my strictly Blackhawks account at Talk Hockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And for any questions at all regarding anything related to the show.